the language of the universe. But I don't understand it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Math and Physics Podcast. I'm your host, Parker. And I'm Ray, and we welcome you to episode 29, where today we have a very highly anticipated episode, at least on our part. That's uh, right. Quantum Mechanics Part 2. Quantum Mechanics Part 2. We've it's been be itching, just, yep. just itching to talk about this topic. <laughs> it's, it's, and there, there are some really crazy things that we can talk about in this. Also, one thing I do want to mention just before we get right into the podcast is that on the last episode, I mentioned that we're going to be changing our schedule to Fridays at 10. So yeah, just scratch that. We're going to move it back to Saturday <laughs> because we found out that with school starting, it's basically impossible to record any time during the weekday. And the only day that both of us are available is Friday. So the only option yeah. is basically to post on Saturday. So yeah, that's, that's right. what we're going to stick with. So yeah, we're just going to stick to the yep. normal schedule. We, yep. you know, we've been posting Saturday at 10 a.m. since... Mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. pretty much the beginning so i guess we'll yep. just keep that okay so yeah we have started okay. this is the first actual podcast that we record during the actual like school year school year right? yeah because the year. last yep. two that we recorded like school started but it wasn't like it, it only started for like two days mm-hmm. so we weren't it actually like yeah it didn't really start when we when we yeah. did this that's right but now yep. we are yep. Three weeks later, yep. Is it, has it because been three weeks? Actually, the because the podcast that we recorded, like the one last week, the one with Matthew Cater, and the mm-hmm. one before that, we actually recorded on the same day, like two weeks ago. I think we mentioned this in a previous yeah, podcast. Yeah, we did. And yeah, so that's basically why we've not really recorded during school. So here we are. All right. So uh, now, as you know, we both have uh, quantum mechanics as a course yep. this semester. Yep. And we have learned some quite uh, interesting, yeah, for sure. interesting things. Some postulates here and there. Mm-hmm. Some mm-hmm. mathematics, definitely. So yeah, we're just going to talk about uh, quantum mechanics and expand on the things we've already talked about in our first episode. Mm-hmm. And on, on the top first of that, episode, I think we were pretty general. weren't very deep into it. I think this episode we're going to go a little bit deeper into. The realm of quantum Yeah, to be mechanics. honest, I don't really remember what we talked about on the first episode. <laughs> that was a very long time ago. That was like two, three months ago, yeah. maybe. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. I mean, three we, months in like school terms, especially when you learn so much yeah. every single day. It's pretty crazy. It's pretty yeah. crazy. Yeah. So yeah. I'm guessing last time we talked about probability density and like double slit experiments, we... things yeah. like that. Anyways, so yeah. let's let's kick off this episode by talking about something I know we didn't talk about last time, which is spin, oh. because we had no idea what spin was. I mean, technically, I mean, <laughs> we still we don't. <laughs> I mean, okay, to be honest, we have a we have a decent idea of what spin is, but I mean, if you like, we can't, we don't know it to the level of probably our professor. Yeah, like, yes. not even close. <laughs> so I mean, it takes a lot of a lot of just deep thinking and, and yeah. analyzing mathematically because it's not it's not a physical prop 
like I don't know how I'm trying to explain this because mm-hmm. some I I forget if uh, this was a pre lecture video or something like that for our quantum course, but basically our uh, our professor said that if you ask around the physics community, there's not really a general consensus on the size of an electron. Some people say That's that true. the size yeah. of the electron is the size of the de Broglie wavelength. Broglie wavelength. Some people say that it's the size of the cloud, uh, of like the the, of the around the nucleus. Yeah. Some people say that it's just a point particle, and so it means nothing to say that that the electron has a size. Mm-hmm. So, so to say that electron has an electron can have spin doesn't really translate to anything physical mm-hmm. right it's because... basically like an inherent property of the electron mm-hmm. it's kind of like analogous to angular momentum you know like when you when we think of that no yeah basically of... it is it is angular momentum yeah. right so yeah. you can have you can have upspin or downspin right i mean Two this states. is this is like the simplest form right there there are more mm-hmm. complicated uh systems of spin <clears throat> but mm-hmm. you if you have a you have what we call a one half spin system is basically there's two options right you can either have up spin or down spin when you run it mm-hmm. through an analyzer yep. right so what we mean by half spin systems is so a half spin particle is what's commonly referred to as a fermion and if you guys, um, I mean, I think we have, we've definitely spoken about the standard model of particle physics before in one of the, I do not remember which episode, but one of the episodes for sure. And we did speak about fermions, or at least I think I touched on it a little bit, or at least I hope I did, where fermions are basically the particles we see in, in everyday nature. So our most basic fundamental particles are fermions. And those are all half-spin systems, or those particles are what we know, what we call is half-spin. So we're going to get a little bit into what half-spin is in a bit, but now we're just trying to bang the idea home of what spin really is. And how in <laughs> our mean... system, there's only two orthogonal, like two states, up-spin and down-spin. Those are the only two options. Yeah, So, but there are different axes right so well you can only this kind of measure also comes from electron configuration as well right because it's on because with half spin we're only dealing with the s orbital that's why it can be up spin or down spin so anyone okay, who's so... taking grade 12 chemistry might know what i'm talking about so in the electron configuration the higher the configuration basically the more the possible up and down spins the electrons can have but because we're only dealing with the s orbital i believe it's only the one or two, it's up or down in that one state or in those yeah, two so states. Yeah, so I was going to say that it depends on what you're measuring, right? Quantum yeah. mechanics has everything to yeah. do with observation and measuring because everything is pretty much just unknown until you make a measurement. Mm-hmm. And that's why... I think that's really cool. Yeah, that's why we... That's really cool. We, when you look at the double slit experiment and you see this interference pattern, right, on the screen... Mm-hmm. You can ask yourself, okay, well, which slit is this photon going through, oh. right? The one that, you know, ends up at location X on the mm-hmm. screen. You say, which yeah. slit has this gone through? Well, it, it, it technically, it went through both because, oh. because the, the reason that you see this interference pattern is because you don't know which slit it went through, right? If you, if you put 
some type of measuring device where you can tell which slit the photon goes through, all of a sudden the interference pattern vanishes because mm-hmm. because you you basically you basically collapse the um, the the, the probability. Function. We're going to talk a little bit about that later. Yeah. So the wave you, function can come a little bit later. In the yeah. Case. So you by measuring where the photon comes from, you you erase the uncertainty, right? So you know the photon came out of this slit, and so. Once you know that piece of information, it's no longer a double slit experiment. It's just a single slit experiment, right? You know the photon went through the one slit, and so the interference pattern goes away. All you see is just the regular, uh, like bell curve intensity distribution. Yeah, because the and this is where quantum mechanics, I believe, becomes super interesting. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about this, where the act of measuring something can actually change the state of the something that you're measuring. And I think that state, and I think that property in quantum mechanics is really what differentiates it so vastly from Newtonian mechanics. Because, for example, if I measure the speed of the car to be 5 meters per second, and let's say it's at constant speed, 20,000 years later, it's still going to be at 5 meters per second. The measurement will not change depending on when and how I measure it. But with quantum mechanics, when we're dealing with these subatomic particles or these fundamental particles of nature that can be represented as mathematical waves, we're talking about all these different probabilities. And when we enter this realm of probability is when we see all these interesting things happen in quantum mechanics. Well, I I don't think that's actually completely correct what you said. Because if if you measure right? Let's say the polarization of a photon, Hmm. you know, you measure it to be, let's say, horizontally polarized. 20,000 years later, that photon is still going to be horizontally polarized. No, but what I'm saying, no, no, no. What I mean is the act of measurement can change the state of a quantum particle. Because when you measure it again, sorry, what I meant is when you measure what you measured first again, you will get the same result in classical physics. But in quantum mechanics, if you put, like, as you said, like a 45 or a horizontal through a 45, mm-hmm. for example, and then you put it through a horizontal again, you will get both states. Seemingly, somehow, photons have arisen from a state that never existed in the beginning. How? Because of the measurement device in the middle. Right. So the measurement device seemingly changes the effective state of the quantum particle. Mm-hmm. You know? So to and illustrate this a little bit. It. Yeah, to illustrate this a little bit easier, I think mm-hmm. it's more intuitive to talk about photon polarization. Yeah. So when you think about light as a wave, you're probably asking, well, what is actually waving? You know, it, it, when I look at a light bulb, there's nothing that's going up and down or side to side. It's just It just looks like the light is reaching my eyes and that's what I see. Well, actually, it's the electromagnetic field that is waving so the the electric field is waving and then the magnetic field is waving perpendicular to that wave right but we Mm -hmm. we can just talk about the electric field for now just to make it simpler because usually when we talk about polarization we are in fact referring to the electric field even though the magnetic field does play an important role obviously in making light light right mm -hmm. but we're mainly referring just to the electric part of the electromagnetic field 
Yeah. When we're so talking about polarization. If you consider a light source like the sun, the sun produces randomly or not randomly unpolarized light rather. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no Or you can say randomly polarized as well because yeah. it is polarized in like every direction. Yeah. So right. when it's when a light is unpolarized, it basically means that there's no particular direction that you'll find each photon waving in. And by mm -hmm. when I say the photon waving, I mean the electric field, of course. Mm -hmm. So you can introduce something like a polarizer, right? Which which has a direction, right? You can have a horizontal polarizer, a vertical polarizer, and then a circular polarizer. Mm -hmm. Okay. So once you run unpolarized light through a vertical polarizer, everything that comes out of that polarizer is now vertically polarized with zero uncertainty, right? Yeah. So that's how basically you prepare a state. And this is analogous to preparing like a spin state. Let's say you want a group of spin up particles. Mm -hmm. You just have to um, sort them out, right? You run it through, you run it through a quote unquote, you know, spin polarizer, I guess. <laughs> and then... Or, a spin analyzer would yeah, be the better word. Right. I was just trying to make allusion to the to polarization. Yeah. I know. I understand. I understand. So <laughs> you run it through a spin analyzer, and then you just every every particle that comes out to be plus spin, you just have a collection of only plus spin yeah. particles. And if you if you remeasure the spin of those particles, it will always be plus. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Basically, same thing with polarization. If you polarize the light, it will keep that same polarization until, you know, further uh, disturbances. Measurements. measurements are, yeah, and, and this is where measurements and disturbances can actually be used analogously. I mean, this was perfect uh, because mm -hmm. we both used it with uh, different words, but they mean the same thing where a measurement can disturb the state of this, of this photon. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's or, or not this photon, but a collection of these photons. So polarization, I think, can, I mean, more realistic example can be talked about in the most realistic example of polarization, in my opinion, polarizing sunglasses. Right. Because mm -hmm. the big problem with people wearing sunglasses, especially while driving, is the glare. Right. And especially with snow or something bright there, when the sun reflects off of it, you get bright glare in your eyes to the point where sometimes you can't even see, right? So polarizing mm -hmm. sunglasses are used by many, many people. <laughs> and this is basically how they work. When the light from the sun hits, so glare works by reflecting things that, sorry, let me rephrase that. Glare works by when the sun's light hits a surface and reflects straight into your eyes. What a polarizing sunglass, what the polarizers do in your sunglasses is it filters out all of the horizontally polarized light. And all of the horizontally polarized light is light that has hit surfaces and has come directly into your eye. Right, so, so the reason, polarizers, sorry, 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 the reason why it filters out the horizontally yeah. polarized light is because when you have unpolarized light that reflects off of a surface, Usually the light that, that gets reflected is polarized uh, uh, parallel to that surface. Mm -hmm. So let's say the, yeah. the sun is hitting the road in front of you, right? You know when, when it's, 
like the road is basically flat and it's hot outside. Yeah. It kind of looks like yeah. water, you know, yeah. and, uh-huh. and it's really reflective. A mirage. <laughs> yeah, the mirage. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the light, the bright light that reflects off of the road is going to be parallel to the road. So you're going to have horizontally polarized light heading straight for your eyes. So what the what the polarizers in your sunglasses do is that they're they're vertically polarized. So that the only thing that can get through your glasses is vertically polarized light. And so suddenly, magically, the the glare goes away and everything that is hor- um yeah, horizontally polarized just you just can't see it. Yeah, and that's also a big advantage um I think we already mentioned, yeah, for driving of course where people use this also in the rain where polarized oh wait no that's just sunglasses in the rain (laughs) (laughs) i'm mixing up facts i apologize (laughs) what were you gonna say about the rain though oh i was basically gonna say so in the rain if you wear sunglasses and you're especially if you're driving it filters out a lot of like the droplets so if you if you're driving especially and it's raining it's heavily recommended that you wear sunglasses, even if it's dark outside, because oh, wow. sunglasses basically disturb the entire rain, all that water through it, because it makes your entire view darker. So mm-hmm. you don't see those transparent water mo- molecules. And basically, you can see a much better view of the road. Oh, that's actually, pretty interesting. I mean, obviously, anyone can try this with any sunglasses and rain, and it actually works really well. So highly recommended. Highly right, recommended. I've never actually tried that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... Talking about polarization. Now, I hope as a listener, you have kind of an intuitive feel for polarization, mm-hmm. right? If you're if you're one, you can't be the other. So mm-hmm. what happens if you have horizontally polarized light and you run that through a 45 degree polarizer oh. r- with respect to the, the horizontal? So right. what that basic so what he's trying to say is if you can like kind of imagine the Cartesian plane, I think this might be a nice way to think about it. Think of something on the x-axis coming along, even though it's not exactly true, but think of something coming along the x-axis, right? And you have a y equals x line, which is at 45 degrees, and you're trying to project that line that came through the x-axis onto the y equals x line. That's basically our idea. Yeah, kind of. I think I think something that's important to note is that your your the electric field is waving along the x-axis, but it's going in the z direction, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it's not going mm-hmm. along the x-axis. It's it's propagating forward, but the electric field is going up and down the x-axis as time goes by. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what would you expect to happen, right? If you know if it if the light is horizontally polarized, it goes through a horizontally polarized uh, filter. You know, a hundred percent of the light's going to go through. Mm-hmm. If it goes through a vertically polarized, you know, zero percent of the light is going to mm-hmm. go through. So intuitively, right? If you have a forty-five degree polarizer, you would expect that fifty percent of the light goes through, and that's actually mm-hmm. correct. Okay. But now, get ready to have your mind absolutely blown, okay? Explosion <laughs> soon. <laughs> so, now, so now we have three consecutive polarizers. The first polarizer is to prepare the state. 
and the next two are to blow your mind, okay? So first... <laughs> the next two are to blow your mind. I yeah. love that. I love that. So, so the first polarizer prepares, let's say, a horizontally polarized set of photons, okay? Mm-hmm. The second one is 45 degrees re- with respect to the horizontal. So yeah. that means that half of the light gets through. The next one is vertically polarized. Oh, what? So now the light that comes out of the vertically polarized one, you 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 see half of of the half, so you get a quarter of the light 25%. going through. Yeah. Right? Because but you sent it Hold on one degrees. second. Yep. Hold on one second. Oh. In the beginning I had a horizontally polarizing filter. At the end I had a vertically polarizing filter. But how am I still seeing light? If in the beginning we knew for certain that the light was horizontal, and then in the end we pass it through a vertical one, how is any of the light going through? And this alludes to what we said earlier, right? When when you measure something, it disturbs the state of that thing, right? That particle. So the truth of the the, the fact of the matter is that yes, you, you you measure initially a horizontal polarization but the magic comes in with the second polarizer because once you measure a 45 degree polarization you have no memory of what you were before oh right once you walk through that door of that 45 degree polarization door you are no longer horizontally (laughs) that passed through a 45 (laughs) you are now a 45 degree photon that is all yeah. you know, right? Mm-hmm. And now you continue your journey. And now that you are a 45-degree photon, you arrive at the horizontal and you have a f- another 45-degree angle with respect to the polarizer. Yeah. So instead of in the beginning having a 90-degree uh, difference, difference between horizontal and vertical we now have 45. now you just have a 45 degree difference and so half of those photons are able to go through and half are reflected and this just has to do with the fact that 45 degree well in essence you know the 45 degree polarizer is in between vertical and horizontal so that's why 50 percent these examples that we're giving you is just like it's just a very specific oh this will happen if this happens but the interesting thing obviously of quantum mechanics is that this happens with almost every single measurement think about now think about if we add another one like a fourth one or a fifth one or we add analyzers between like between some of them going up and down so we take some of them that went down and do something with that so there are countless, almost infinite, uh, sorry, infinite options here with these polarizers and analyzers that we can take and see all these weird quantum effects taking place. Also, an, mm-hmm. um, one thing I did want to mention, uh, the thing I was talking about before, when I said sunglasses in the rain, what I'm, what I was thinking of was skiing glasses. I don't, I don't know why <laughs> I mentioned sunglasses, but anyways, mm-hmm. I was actually thinking about how ski goggles or at least the polarizing ski the polarized ski goggles are yes very expensive but very recommended for you know professional skiers why because it reduces glare you'll actually be able to notice if you do ski and you're not wearing like you know polarizing goggles and the sun is crazy you'll be able to you, you, the only way to ski down the hill will be to squint your eyes because you have to reduce the glare 
but the polarizing sunglasses or the polarizing ski goggles do it for you in this case. So mm. polarizers are used almost everywhere That's in, awesome. in nature, in reality. So also I wanted to say yeah. that a lot of people think that quantum mechanics is really like, oh, it's this weird, like, this weird realm where like, you know, magical weird things happen. Things happen. Yeah. <laughs> but an interesting thing about, about the experiment that I just described is that you can go on Amazon, buy some polarizers, and see for yourself yeah. you can actually it's it's not even that expensive it's probably like what like 20 dollars to buy a couple polarizers and then you probably, can see yeah. that you do horizontal to vertical nothing gets through it's just completely black and then you stick mm -hmm. another one in between at a 45 degree angle and suddenly by adding a polarizer you can see more light which you know it's it's a it's a quantum mechanical experiment that you can perform in your bedroom so and the interesting thing that this also tells you about the light is that it the light only depends so where it will go only depends on the relative angle between it and the polarizer it mm -hmm. does not depend, as Parker very well mentioned, on what it was before. It is. It seems as if it forgot or lost memory <laughs> of what it was before. But another way to think about this, like, you know, more mathematically or more in the physics sense of it, is that the photon, or in this case the light, only depends on the angle relative, uh, sorry, relative to which it is left and which it is going through. So the moment the horizontal turned into the 45, as Parker said, it forgot about the horizontal. And now it's a 45. So the only thing that matters is the relative angle between it, which is now 45, and the vertical, which is also 45, the, the relative angle. Mm -hmm. So because it's 45, there we get the 50-50. And mm -hmm. that's basically where this crazy confusion and interestingness of quantum mechanics comes out. I think it's really sad that quantum mechanics is so mathematical and it's oh, one sad. of the reasons, yeah, it's one of the reasons why so many people just don't even bother guess, learning quantum true. mechanics. That is true. Because, you know, you only, you only really start learning about quantum mechanics in, you know, a university quantum mechanics course. Mm -hmm. Like the, I had a quantum mechanics, uh, I'm just going to say QM from now on because that's just a long... <laughs> a long word but QM. Yeah. so i remember the, the the qm unit in high school was complete trash like it was so bad because <laughs> in part because you know what can they really teach us we just know grade 12 physics they can't really explain it to us mathematically because we just won't understand anything mm -hmm. you know we we didn't even know integrals in grade 12 so oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, i mean i'm not saying that's an issue i'm just saying that's yeah. it's a fact right so yeah. it's just that quantum mechanics to really understand it just simply requires a little higher level of math because the only way yeah. to truly understand what a state is is with bracket notation right to truly like really grasp it and how to multiply it and how it goes through states bracket notation really helps but how do you learn that you learn that mainly with a lot of advanced mathematics with linear algebra functions with a lot of calculus so it all kinds of add on it, it kind of adds on to itself to put itself on this pretty high pedestal where it needs so much math to function that so many people are afraid of it yeah mainly i think it's uh it's pretty much all linear algebra to be yeah, honest it's a lot of linear algebra <laughs> you, 
there's a lot of there's a lot of concepts where it just has to be kind of just natural to you yeah. for like for you to succeed you know quote unquote mm-hmm. succeed just being able to I don't know, analyze a situation correctly. And just instead of thinking about the situation for what it is, you think about it more mathematically and analytically. And then, yeah, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to say uh, something about uh, an experiment that we did in class, but I think... uh, The Michelton-Morley experiment? Or, oh, interferometers. We can talk about interferometers. Oh, yeah, the, the interferometer. Okay, yeah. one thing. Oh, okay, I definitely do want to mention. So, um, for people who have not heard of an interferometer, an interferometer is a very, very interesting piece of equipment, or it's more of an experiment, that where light, or do you want to explain the infer, uh, interferometer? Because I really want to explain LIGO. <laughs> no, go ahead. Okay, perfect, perfect. So, an interferometer is basically a device where light is sent out from, well, there are many different types of interferometers, but in this case, we can say light is being sent out from a single source, from a singular source. And an interferometer is basically a a mirror in the middle of these sources where the light is traveling to split the light into two separate polarizations, into a perpendicular polarization and a parallel polarization. Then, when, these, when the light splits in from the center, it hits either a detector or a reflector. Usually, it's mirrors because uh, that, that increases accuracy of experiments, and I can talk about that later. But usually, it's mirrors, and the light basically can bounce back and forth n number of times till it comes back to a certain detector. Now, the interesting thing about this experiment is that, remember... The one light got split into two separate beams. So both of those lights, when they return to the detector, have a certain interference pattern. And that interference pattern is how we can measure something extremely interesting. So LIGO, and and, and this is really where I want to come into it. So LIGO, the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory, is a huge experimental apparatus with four, with arms as long as four kilometers, I believe. Very, yeah. very, very long arms. Definitely recommend search it up. Where it's the point of it is it's basically an interferometer. It is an interferometer. And the point of it is to detect gravitational waves. Now, gravitational waves, which we have spoken about before, I believe, are small ripples in space-time. But we can't really measure them with anything that we have today. So we need this equipment with such level of precision where we can measure if light that's bounced around hundreds of thousands of times moves just a little bit. Let me explain. So in LIGO, the default configuration is that both the light, uh, the perpendicular component and the parallel component, when they come back to the detector, they have destructive interference. That's the point of it. Right, so that you basically can't see any light at all. However, the moment a gravitational wave or something that ripples through space-time hits this light, it will hit the parallel component in a different way that it hits the perpendicular component. This will cause an interference pattern between the perpendicular and parallel components of the light. So when they hit the detector, we detect some light. What this tells us is that a gravitational wave has just passed through. 
So in 2015, interestingly enough, when they had shut off the observatory for three years, they just started running it. And I think a few months later, they caught the first glimpse of a gravitational wave, thereby proving Einstein's general theory of relativity. And I think this is where I could really talk about LIGO because I wanted to talk about it before so much. But because <laughs> we're talking about interferometers and polarization, I just feel like this is the perfect spot. So yeah, I, I know I took a little bit of time explaining that, but I think that's a really cool thing. And if you guys have time, definitely search up LIGO. Mm -hmm. Really cool. Yeah, so one thing <laughs> that I just remembered while you were talking is that in our astronomy class that we're actually taking together, Ray and I, mm -hmm. yep. uh, we were talking about nuclear fusion in the sun and we ran through a couple of approximations that told us how hot the sun should be based on the nuclear reactions happening inside of the sun and mm -hmm. we got a number that was that was too to low i less, believe right yeah it was like 10, 10 to, to the, the three. 3 kelvins less than the yeah. actual temperature at yeah. the in the middle of the sun and so mm -hmm. And so our teacher was like, hey, well... Well, no, 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 sorry, 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 uh, sorry, 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 little uh, thing here. It, it's it's 10 to the 3 Kelvin less than what it should have been for nuclear fusion to occur. You said yeah, then the temperature that's... at the core of the sun. Okay, right. Yeah, Anyways. sorry, just small yeah, correction. Yeah, 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 you're right, you're continue. right, you're right. Um, so, yeah, basically they were saying, okay, so the temperature of the sun is not hot enough for mm -hmm. this level of nuclear fusion to occur, yeah. right? So what they actually, the, the solution to this problem was you this need to great. consider quantum mechanics. You need to consider oh. the uncertainty principle and that every uh, like subatomic particle has a wavelength. And so you don't actually have to have this, this impeding pressure forcing the the actual particles to touch all you need is that the particles have to come within one wavelength of each other and yeah. because you have that uncertainty then you know sometimes it what will happen is that they will interact with each other without ever really touching each other you know quote unquote mm -hmm. touching each other and that's yeah. where nuclear fusion occurs without actually needing the proper temperature yeah. slash pressure for uh you know classical uh nuclear fusion to happen inside the sun so and i found that really interesting yeah. how we, we we needed quantum mechanics to explain things that are happening inside of the sun and uh, so. the formal name for the effect for the process of what's happening is known as quantum tunneling which i believe we also have covered before and i i, I think this yeah. we spoke about in part one i think we did actually yeah i i, I this i feel that we have spoken about where because we mostly talked appear. about um yeah like things we saw in first year quantum yeah which wasn't yeah so quantum tunneling much. is what allows so when these particles are within one wavelength of each other the advantage is that these particles can just tunnel to each other and then fuse that way yeah so i mean i think we've covered a lot of material up to now i hope uh everybody has taken something away from this podcast whether it be like polarization or something cool a cool fact about nuclear fusion in the sun yep. uh we love talking about quantum mechanics always it's a it's a beautiful topic conceptually and mathematically if you want us to do a part three which we will definitely do if not sooner than later 
Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. Just for let sure. us know. If you have any questions, make sure to email us or follow us on our Instagram page, which is at math.physics.podcast. Other than that, you make can sure email to... us as well. Uh, did you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, so the email is going to be in the dis- it's going to yeah. be in the description of uh, the podcast. It's uft.math.physics at mm-hmm. gmail.com. Also, last very last thing, make sure to mm-hmm. follow us. We are Ooh. we are on the climb to 1,000 followers on Spotify. So if you are listening to us on Spotify, make sure to follow us. Awesome. If you've made it all the way through this this uh, magnificent episode <laughs> of. Um, of uh, mathematical and physical discussion. We hope you enjoyed this episode. This was, thank uh, you so much. Yeah. yeah, thank you for listening. This was number 29. 29. We are close to, we are close to, uh, 50 episodes. Yeah, I was just gonna say we're closer to 50. <laughs> yeah, yep, I think, I think, the, I think 50 is gonna be, uh, 50 is gonna be a big mark. Actually, I think 52, because that would mean, like an episode per oh, week that's like a I year. I guess, yeah. but we, if you remember in the beginning, we yeah, were doing an we episode. we did post more than Yeah, we did post more. We posted more. Man, back yep. when we had time to post twice a week. <laughs> now we just don't. Now we're recording well, 12 hours yep. before the <laughs> before we have to post it. Yeah. Um, all right. So, yeah, I hope you enjoyed. Do you have anything else to say, Ray? Uh, not really. Just uh, I, I kind of got cut off there for a second because my uh, my cable came out. So my mic oh. disconnected. So I, I think you just began talking, though. So uh, uh-huh. I'm not sure if people heard that. All right. Well, yeah, uh, that, that's all I have to say. Okay, we will uh, you see you guys next week. Uh, see ya. Yeah, this, is, uh, this has been the Math and Physics Podcast with your host, Parker. And I'm Ray, and we will see you soon. All right, peace out.